0: Romans chapter 5 We're going to Romans chapter 5 and I'll pick up right at about verse 5 And make sure I got this got this on this morning you know, I never, never really know for sure what direction to go on a special Sunday like this, and pray about it, and pray that the Lord would give me wisdom and give me the the message for it. But what to preach on Memorial Sunday, and of course tomorrow is Memorial Day, but what to preach and. There's plenty in the Bible about soldiers, and my mind always goes to Calvary. Though, you know, we, we quote that verse that uh, that greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, and that's an appropriate verse for soldiers. Uh, that's those are the very words of Jesus Christ. Uh, and but I, I, when I think of that verse, I think of of our Lord. He laid down his life for his enemies, and that is the greatest love of all. And while we do want to honor the ultimate cost for our freedom, the death of our soldiers, the men and women who have served our country, we want to give the greatest honor today to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's my theme. My theme today is the death of Christ, and I'm going to begin reading In verse 5, and read down to verse 11. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure... For a good man, some would even dare to die. That's, that's a verse that makes me think of veterans and soldiers dying for their buddies. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we take up this great subject, greatest subject in the Bible, the death of Christ for sinners, the reconciliation of the world, of a world that had gone astray to a holy God. Lord, you gave us the opportunity in reconciling us to be able to hear the gospel and to be saved, to be justified and cleared, acquitted of all of our sins, and, and Lord, to, to, to take someone who was weak morally and unable to live for you, unable to please you without faith, and to bring us into a position where we can serve you and we can walk after the will of God through Christ Jesus, through his blood that was shed, and through his death for us. And so today, Lord, once again, we, we praise you for this. We, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, we praise him as, as we sang in our choir anthem. We praise him for what he's done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In the Old Testament, Christ's death is the scarlet thread. That runs right through. Paul said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures in the 15th chapter of 1st Corinthians. And, and he said that is according to the scriptures. In other words, the Old Testament prophecies prophesied the death of Christ. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we think... Uh, most of all of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, but it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament and type. And Jesus, he spoke of these prophecies to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. In the New Testament, Christ's death is mentioned no less than 175 times. It's the reason he came into this world. It's the very heart of the gospel. If Christ's death is mentioned that many times in the New Testament... That should give you an idea of how much a preacher ought to deal with that subject in his yearly preaching calendar. That ought to be something that preachers are always preaching about, the death of Christ for sins. If the Bible majors on that subject, we should major on that subject. There have been people in our country, in your lifetimes, they call them liberal Christians. That's a political word. That, that word, liberal and conservative, really doesn't belong to you know, Christian uh, uh, faith and practice. That belongs to politics. What they are, they are apostate. They have departed from the scriptures, fallen away from the truth. They let truth fall in the streets. And there have been people in this country who said, we don't want a bloody religion. We don't want to be talking all the time about Christ's death. And in these churches, what they do, they preach a do good, be good kind of a gospel. Jesus set an example for us. If you just do good, be good and live a moral, clean, ethical life, then you'll be able to go to heaven. You won't go to hell with those wicked and ungodly sinners. But they, they downplay sin, they downplay the death of Christ and his blood that was shed for us, and they just talk about God's love. That is apostate Christianity. It's called neo-orthodoxy. And uh, that ran rampant in our country, in all the mainline denominations, and all their seminaries, to the point to where the gospel was not even preached, Some of these big, beautiful buildings that you see downtown and in the the cities around in this state, uh, those buildings are not gospel preaching stations. Those buildings are are communist, humanistic centers of man worship. That's what's happening. You know that, right? If you don't, you do now. That's what's been happening. Man-centered church. I know men... Grown men, 70, 80 years old, they can remember a time when the Lord's Prayer was said every day in church. They can remember when the teacher read from the Bible in church, when the Ten Commandments were still posted on the wall. And these men have grown up in churches where they never heard about sin, they never heard about a personal devil, they never heard the gospel, they never heard about the blood of Jesus Christ being the only thing that can justify us and wash away our sins. And they grew up in church telling uh, those, those children, do good, be good. Be a good person. Be a good citizen for your community. Why, guys? That's exactly what churches were preaching in Nazi Germany. About the time of Hitler. And so, what we have is something, and, and they, would, they would criticize us. Why are you always preaching about Christ? Why are you always preaching a bloody religion? It's 175 times in the New Testament. And they take the hymn books and they remove the blood. You know, they remove that we are worms. You know, I'm surprised they haven't removed from the uh, amazing grace that we're wretches. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's what the, the Bible teaches us. It doesn't use that word, but that's what we were before we got saved. We were wretched, wretched. So, Christ's death is described as a ransom. It's described as a reconciliation. It's described as a propitiation, a substitute, and a proof of God's love. And we're going to look at that last one today. A proof of God's love. If you notice in verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us. How did God prove his love? How did God show his love? In that while we were yet Sinners, Christ died for us. God proved his love. There's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever that God loves this world of lost sinners. And the proof of God's love is found at Calvary. When Jesus hung on that cross and when his arms were stretched out and nailed to those those boards and his feet were nailed... And that crown of thorns was placed upon his head. And that that spear was thrust into his side. And as he hung there in agony, excruciating pain. It was God saying, I love you. I love you. So much that I would send my only begotten son into this world to die for all men. Not just for the elect. Not just for God's people. As those who would believe, he died for all men. He died to reconcile this world unto himself. And in reconciling this world, it made it possible so that we could hear the gospel and be saved and experience his love. If you could imagine a timeline, and on that timeline you have uh, 4,000 years of history before the cross. And then after the cross, 2,000 years of history if you would circle that cross that's where God's love is found if you get in that circle you will experience the love and all the blessings that we read about in this chapter if you get in that circle if you don't get in that circle you will not experience the love of God you will experience the wrath of a holy God on your wretched soul you got to get in that circle are you in are you in this morning Are you in Christ? Because listen, God so loved the world, where do I go to find His love? It's at the cross. It's at the cross. For everyone who rejects Jesus Christ, the fearful, the unbelieving, the Bible says that they're under the wrath of God. Jesus said to His disciples, John chapter 3, read the whole thing. Don't just read verse 16. He said, I did not come into this world to condemn this world, but that the world through me might be saved. Not do good, be good, through me. And he was referring to his death for our sins. And he said, I did not come to condemn. But he said, this is the condemnation. He explained, this is the condemnation. That men loved darkness rather than light. That's right where we are. That's front page news, folks. That's, you, you bring up whatever website you like to look at and read the news. That's, that's, those are headline statements. Men loved darkness rather than light. That's the condemnation. Jesus said you're already condemned. And so he says, come out from among them and, and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. But you've got to come, you've got to get inside of that circle. If you're not inside of that circle today, I want to tell you, you are already condemned. You're already judged guilty and under the wrath of Almighty God. Just like these clouds hang over our heads and cover the skies, from the beauty of the, of the sun's rays and the warmth and the enjoyment of the sun, there is wrath hanging over your head and it prevents the, the blessings and, and the, the favor and the love of God on your life. And the only thing to get the wrath of God off of you is to come to Christ and to go to Calvary because that's where God's wrath was poured out on His Son. So it's either you Pay for your sins, or you let Jesus pay for your sins for you. That's our message about the cross. And he died, and we know that his death was accepted because he rose again the third day. Do You know that in so many churches today, that's not preached. And that's why I glory in it. And that's why you never get tired of hearing it. And that's why you ought to, you ought to know by now, I think... You ought to know that if you were to bring somebody to church, they're going to hear the truth. It might not be very elegant. I haven't even gotten into my sermon. I have some, you know, I'll clean it up here in a minute. It might not be elegant, but you'll hear the truth. You think it was elegant when John the Baptist preached? He'd say, repent! <laughs> when, he, when he saw Herod coming. Herod, it's not lawful for you to be married to your brother's wife. You're guilty of sin. He, he, he said you're guilty. He condemned him and said it's not lawful. And that's why Herod's wife hated him and had him beheaded, because he called him out. But he did it saying, Repent, turn from that. And for a long time, Herod was interested in hearing that preacher. And he'd have that preacher come around and preach, and he'd go hear the preacher, and his wife would be like, what are you doing You know, messing around with that man? He's, he's uncouth, he's uncultured, and no one likes him. He's a weirdo anyways. Look at him. Why is he dressed like that? What's, I hear he eats bugs and, and eats wild honey, and, and those people are just fanatics. What are you doing, Herod? This is not the man that I married. I did not sign up for this. But Herod heard him gladly for a long time, but he never repented and never trusted in God. And finally, Herod sought to please men and sought to please his wife uh, rather than please God. And Herod delivered up that preacher. A lot of people like that in this country too. A lot of people who sit for a while in a church, hear the truth, and then finally decide which way they're going to go. Uh, Herod rejoiced. He, he, there for a while, he, he really enjoyed it. A lot of people like that. I heard about a rescue mission in Cambridge, and it's there for people who are down and outers and people who are struggling with drugs. And this man, Troy Barrett, the son of a preacher who had pastored Grace Baptist in Cambridge for years, he started this mission, and he had come from kind of a rough background himself, and so God gave him this burden. And it's not a church. It's a gospel preaching station. It's a rescue mission. And he meets every day and teaches the Bible, and they're going through Revelation. He was telling us about it. He said he figures there were 50 actual conversions in in the years that he's been there. But there's been a lot of people who just came for a little while. And they would get all excited about hearing the Bible taught. And they'd have questions, you know. And, and uh, they'd come for a while. But then, then they'd stop coming. And he'd go looking for them and might find them. And, and uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there and I'll make excuses. I'm going to be there. And then he'll... And then they don't come the next time. And then he'll go looking for them again because he figures, you know, they're struggling with their addiction. He'll go looking for them again. Then they'll hide from him. And uh, he'll keep working on them, praying for them and everything else. And he's not judging them. He just, you know, he just knows that the person comes and hears for a little while. And if they don't stick, there's probably nothing happening there. And, yeah. And what, what is the, what's the issue? It's, it's that they love darkness rather than light. They, they chose their side. And that's, that's a situation with a lot of soldiers. You know, in the military, the military is a pretty ungodly situation, pretty ungodly setup. It, it makes humanists out of people. Uh, you know what a humanist is. God's not in the picture. Man is the measure of all things. The, the, the military... It, it just has a record for making humanists out of people and making just blanks out of Christians. It just does. You, you won't find very many Christians who are practicing their faith and boldly, you know, proclaiming Christ. They're not ashamed. Of, you won't find that very much. What you will find is a lot of Christians hiding, hiding Jesus, hiding their faith while they're in there. And uh, that's sad. You know what that is? That's a condemnation against our governmental leaders and the leaders of our military because it shouldn't be that way. It's that way for the same reason that public schools are also godless institutions. It's the same thing. The same thing has happened in all governmental institutions, except at the Capitol, which is strange because they still open in prayer and so on, but, but that's that's beginning to change too. You know, folks, Let me let me just get into this, and today I just want us to appreciate... And honor Jesus Christ. So the title of my message is Honor the Fallen. And specifically, I want to honor Christ who died for our sins. We'll begin in verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. When you read hope in the Bible, that means a certain expectation. That is to anticipate what God has done for us and will do. And hope this certain expectation maketh not ashamed. That is, when God does something for you, believe me, you will not be disappointed. You will not be finally disappointed. We're going to, when we, when we experience the fullness of all of God's blessings, one of these days in heaven, in the very presence of the Lord, when we look upon Jesus' face, when this, like the song says, when we gaze upon his face in wonder, our hope will not be disappointed. We will not be ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God is just poured out with abundance in our lives. It's like like rain, an abundant rain on a field that has just been uh, cultivated and is ready to start growing its crops. The love of God is poured out abundantly. And he pours out his love and his blessings on the just and on the unjust, does he not? It's like, it's like uh, on a cold day and you turn on the furnace and heat begins to fill the room. And, and the warmth of that furnace working uh, begins to take the chill off and you get comfortable. And you can relax in your recliner. That's the love of God shed abroad, poured out for us. I remember when uh, I served in Korea, there for a year, and uh, you've never been cold till you've been Korea cold. I've been uh, I've been Minnesota cold before, but it wasn't like Korea. I've never been up north into Alaska or anything. I imagine it's just about like that. But I've been uh, I've been pretty cold, not as cold as I've been in Korea. And I remember that they would train us there on the mountains and they wanted us to get used to that cold because that's what you'd have to fight in if the North Koreans came across the DMZ and you'd have to get used to it as much as possible. But that cold kills men. And there were there were times when I was pretty sure I had I had uh, frostbite on my toes. But but, the, but then they'd keep us out there for a week or two and then they'd bring us in to these tents. And the tents, they didn't have the furnace in the middle like they used to they had these big units hooked up to them and they had a hose running to the tent and uh, had that blowing, pumping this warm air into the tent and you'd go inside of there and at first it was uncomfortable and painful. But once you got used to it, man, you could start taking off layers, you know, and sit down and just enjoy that. That's the love of God, the abundance of, lo- of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You know, within this chapter, unbelievers are described as being without strength in verse 6, being ungodly in verse 6. In verse 8, sinners. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then also in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, unbelievers are described as enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we're described as without strength, ungodly sinners and enemies. That's the description that God gives to every one of us. That was me. That was you before you were saved. That was our condition. You've got to understand that you're lost before you're ever ready to be saved. You've got to understand that you're in trouble with God before you'll come to Him and sorry for your sins and admitting your guilt and confessing your need of forgiveness. You've got to understand that you're without strength. What's that mean? That means that you're morally weak. A lost person is not capable of living a moral, upright life. We are depraved. We are bent toward doing wrong. You have to teach children how to do right. You don't have to teach them how to do wrong. And they're always influenced more by a bad example than they are by a good example. Why is that? It's because our nature is crooked. We are without strength. And God looks down at that weak, helpless thing and has pity, sends his son to die on the cross. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. To be ungodly doesn't just mean to be without God. It means to be irreverent, to be sinners, neglecting the fear of God and the worship of God. People who are ungodly have no reverence for God or for the things of God. They will not fear God. They will not obey him. They don't want to acknowledge that he's there or that they'll someday have to give an account. When the Bible says that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God, they don't want to worship God. You know, in the Bible, worshiping God is almost always presented as bowing down, on, prostrate on the ground before the Lord. Like the, you see the Muslims doing? That's biblical. They got it from the Bible. Bowing down. That's the worship of God. Man won't do that. Man is proud and standing up and beating his chest and bringing God into judgment. And one day, God's going to fix all proud men and liars. God's not in any of their ways. They're ungodly. They don't consider God in what they're doing and their choices. And God's not in any of their thoughts. They're ungodly. What an appropriate description of many of the people that we know. And listen, brother, sister, what an appropriate description of you before you came to Christ. I don't know about you, but I wasn't seeking after Jesus. No man seeketh after God, Paul said. I was hiding. I was hiding in the darkness too. I had my own thing, and you had your own thing. And a lot of us, we didn't get saved the first time that we heard the gospel. And if you did, that's that's pretty cool. But yeah, a lot of us, we we... You know, we rejected Jesus a time or two or three before we finally got saved. Without strength, ungodly. And then he says in verse 8, while we were yet sinners, what does that mean? That we're guilty of God, uh, before God. We're guilty of specific violations. Sin is anything that is not conformed to the will of God. And then he says enemies in verse 10, think of that enemies dear folks this is the proof of God's love in verse 8 God commendeth his love that he would love someone who's described in the way that I just described a lost sinner God has proved it there's no doubt about it what kind of love does God have for sinners with this description it's unconditional love One Sunday, a little boy looked up at his dad and he asked, Daddy, how does God love us? Son, God loves us with unconditional love. The lad thought for a moment and then asked, What kind of love is unconditional love? And after a few minutes of silence, his father answered, Do you remember the two boys who used to live next door to us? They had the little puppy, yeah, Remember they got that puppy for Christmas? Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember how they used to treat that puppy? Remember how they'd tease it and throw sticks at it? They'd throw rocks at it? Yes, I, I remember that. Do you also remember how the puppy would always meet them with wagging with a wagging tail and would try to lick their faces? Yes, I, I remember that. Do you also remember... That that puppy was never upset, but that puppy just loved those boys. Yeah, I remember it. Well, that puppy had unconditional love for those two boys. They certainly didn't deserve his love because they'd been so mean to him. But he loved them anyway. The father made his point to his son God's love for us is also unconditional. Men threw rocks at his son, Jesus. Men uh, threw rocks and they hit him with sticks. They even killed God's son. But Jesus loved them anyway. God's love is unconditional. And we certainly do not deserve it. Someone who's without strength, ungodly, a sinner, and an enemy of God... Well, there's nothing in us that would call for such love. But the extent of God's love, my second point, is that while we were yet sinners, in in verse 8, while we were yet sinners, that is, God's love reaches to the uttermost. Anyone can be saved. But we have to call them, as the church, to repentance. They've got to turn away from their sins. And, and understand that we don't deserve this kind of love. God doesn't save us because we're good little boys and girls. God saves us in spite of our sin and says, as a matter of fact, I've taken care of your sin. And God receives all who will come unto him by faith in Christ Jesus. You know, I will make a, just a quick illustration and move on to my last point. I was recently watching a band on YouTube, and it's a band that I used to listen to, and I grew out of it, and just grew up, Uh, but it was a Christian band called uh, Switchfoot, and the singer, lead singer is John Foreman, and they were performing at Disney at the Epcot Center, and I watched a little bit of it, and uh, it just happened to be on my feed there, and so I commented below, I rarely ever comment on social media, it's a waste of time, but I commented What would a so-called Christian band be doing uh, performing at Disney when Disney just blatantly opposes God and truth and uh, opposes God's definition of human sexuality and marriage? What would they be doing linking up with these people? And I said, can two walk together except they be agreed? They must be agreed with them, which would not surprise me. And you would not believe how many people commented after that. And uh, it was not in favor. It wasn't a hearty amen. It was, uh, well, how can you judge? And where, Who do you think Jesus spent time with? And so on. And, and what's, what's wrong? We need to go out and evangelize the world. And I answered a few of those things, and then I just left it alone. But, but I said this, and I got one amen for this comment. I said, who did Jesus spend time with? Who did Jesus spend time with? I'll tell you who. Repentant sinners. That's who he ate meals with. Repentant sinners. People who followed him, he called them to repentance. And those that repented followed him. He spent time also, I'll grant it, with some Pharisees and things like that at at meals. But when he did, he confronted them with their guilt so that they could be saved. He confronted them and, and when he was, one time he was preaching at a meal and, and uh, when he was talking about lawyers and scribes and Pharisees, they're sitting right there talking about how crooked they are. And, he said, and one of them spoke up and said, Master, in saying that you condemn us. Now do you think that that's what that band was doing at Disney? Do you think they were calling anyone to repentance or exposing the, the errors of what that, of what that uh, organization stands for? No, they were not. Were they preaching the gospel? No, because music is not the gospel. Music is not gospel preaching. And I, I answered a few, a couple of those things, and then I just left it alone. But you know what, folks? The extent of God's love is that any one of those perverts that work for uh, Disney could be saved. Any one of them. Any one of the God-defying... Uh, you know, communists that are in government trying to wreck our country, uh, any one of them could be saved. God would save them. But they've got to repent of their unbelief and repent of their sin and come to God. That's the extent of, of God's love. And the recipients of God's love, I pretty much already covered it. The recipients of God's love. He says, But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for Who? Us. He died for all men, but because I can take you to 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, but but who are the people who actually benefit from it? Us. The people who received Jesus Christ. Christ died for us. Now, he died for all men, and all could benefit from it, but they don't. They don't. And so we are the recipients of God's love. Let me tell you this. My point is this. You will not receive God's love if you don't repent of your sin and turn to Christ by faith and place all your faith and trust and all your hope in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. But And, and he's the only way to heaven. Try saying, like, try saying that on YouTube. See what happens. He's the only way to heaven. <laughs> In conclusion, I want to make this uh, uh, this last statement to expose the the false teaching of apostate Christians today. They view the death of Christ as being a revelation of the love of God. And that is not what I'm saying today, so I want to tell you what I'm not saying. They, they view the death of Christ as simply being a revelation of the love of God and the sinfulness of man. And there are many who believe just like that. And when they preach like that, you'd say, That sounds right. But they do not believe that his death was a substitutionary death for sin. They do not believe that he died in our place. That's what's going on in mainline denominations. If you ask the preachers, if you just get them aside and pull them aside, you'll find out who has gone apostate and who hasn't. And you say, do you believe that Christ died as a substitutionary death? Uh, atonement for our sins do you believe he died and paid the full penalty for our sins and you find out how many believe that and then just ask him do you you believe in the inerrancy of scripture do you believe the bible is inerrant without error ask him that and what you'll find out is no they don't they believe that the bible contains the fundamentals of the faith that the, the, the bible contains truth but that it's not perfect and we we don't have a Bible we don't have a perfect Bible that's what's going on and then many Christians are standing in churches today and they're singing they're singing that Jesus paid it all and they don't believe that all to him and they don't believe that sin hath left a crimson stain he washes white as snow and they don't believe that at all they don't believe Jesus paid it all they believe Jesus paid some of it and then I got to do my part a lot of people like that in churches today and that's not the message of the Bible the Bible is Jesus paid it all. Now, folks, if that's the case, I'd say we owe him everything, don't we? We owe him our lives. And right there, you would say a hearty amen. But listen, are you honoring God with your lips when your heart is far from him? Yeah, I owe him everything. I, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Have you given him everything? Well, no, I'm keeping a little part back here. I obey in this here. I cherry-pick verses that I want to obey, but I don't obey that there. And we're guilty of that a lot of the times, aren't we? I owe everything to him. You know when a soldier goes off to fight in a foreign war and uh, they, they watch their buddies die right in front of them, or when they realize that the actions of one of my buddies, that, that his actions saved my life. And when they come back to America, they'll, they'll often go and visit that family, and they'll say, I want to let you know that your son, your daughter, was a hero. He saved my life. And they will live out the rest of their days thinking that it was his life or mine. And so I owe him. I owe him that I've, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And I'm going to live this life and not take it for granted because somebody had to lay down their life for me to be here. That's the way soldiers feel that have been in that situation, some of them. Well, that's how we ought to feel as a Christian. I owe Jesus everything. There should be nothing that we keep back from the Lord. Complete and total surrender. How's that in your life today? How are you doing in that area? Are you surrendered to the Lord? Let's stand as we pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We think about honoring the fallen. What's the best way for us to honor the fallen? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. The best way is just to give all of our lives to him. To give everything. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow before you, we're so thankful for the word of God today. There's so much there. It's so full of meaning. God, when I think about what I was before I got saved. And that you loved me anyways. You loved me, Lord, when I turned down the gospel. You loved me when I just kind of went along with it. You loved me, Lord, when I just said a prayer just to go along with it and get people off me and off my case. I didn't mean it. You loved me, Lord, when I truly did trust Christ, but I held back much of my, myself and I lived a worldly life, lukewarm. And I just lived just kind of like a nominal Christian. And living like everybody else around me. You loved me then. And you loved me, Lord, enough to show me your goodness. And it is the goodness of God that that calls us to repentance. And you showed me, Lord, how good you were and how abundant this love is. And you shed abroad your love in my heart. And you brought me to repentance. And I pray that you'd continue to do that for us, Lord. Continue to bring us... To a deeper and deeper repentance of life, that we would honor Christ who died for us, and that we'd honor him by living our lives for him. And Lord, um, we are your servants. We do what you want us to do. We go where you want us to go. We give what you want us to give. We stop doing what doesn't please you and doesn't meet your approval. We do things that do please you. and that you do approve of. Help us to live this way Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you for this nation Lord. And I want to close my prayer this morning. By praying for. Uh, veterans who have survived. And who are thinking of. Their buddies. Uh, that that have died on. On the combat field. They're thinking of them today and tomorrow. and They've been thinking about them this weekend. And Lord some of them are really really fighting and struggling inside. And I just pray, Father, for more veterans to be saved. Pray for family members of that have lost sons and daughters, that you'd bless them and and, and that you would minister to them and, and that more would be saved. And, Lord, we give you all this and lift it up to you and, and to your capable hands. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. What's our song? 257, please. If you need to pray, the altar is always open. I know we don't use it a whole lot, but it's open. We invite you to come and pray.